me, I think the fight for Kid Galahad is Navarrete. You know, that is a that is a big unification fight. He'd do that fight in America. Um, I believe Navarrete's out of contract now, so there might be an opportunity to, to try and get that fight. Um, and, you know, if he comes through on Saturday, I would like to see him fight Navarrete. Although, you know, Conlon against Woody's going to be a huge fight, and it's a great fight, and the winner against Kid Galahad would be a massive fight wherever it lands. And welcome back to the number one podcast in a sport where the city of Sheffield let Eddie Hearn know that South Yorkshire's it's a porky town. You know, the the official Sheffield stairway was obvious from the attendance figures at the Sheffield Arena. God, that was it's cringeworthy. So I think if I remember correctly, the Sheffield Arena can hold about fourteen thousand, right? Depending on configuration. It's minimum's about three and a half thousand. So even if Hearn ran it at, at its minimum capacity, which it looked like, it still looked like a pretty bad attendance. And I know a lot of those tickets were handed out for the record. But I actually don't want to slaughter Hearn for this show. Because it's easy, right? There'll be other platforms, other outlets that will talk about game changed. Is this what we're paying our DAZN money for? <laughs> and so on and so forth. But I think he's on a hiding to nothing at the moment. So if you look at the big picture, we're not signing up for the zone because Joshua's lost. So actually, there's nothing to look forward to. Hearn hasn't really got a depth of stable where we're looking at big name fights, right? Conor Ben's not quite there yet. He'll get there, but he's not there yet. Josh Warrington, more questions than answers. Um, and then, then you're struggling, right? You've got Lawrence. But Lawrence, you feel Lawrence is in second gear at the moment. So we haven't really seen Lawrence tested. And Hearn's got to give him a fight that's going to test him. And it might mean that Lawrence has to move up. But Hearn's stable's not strong. And because of that, you're not signing up to DAZN because you know that there's nothing there. And so he can't square the circle in his own mind of, I need to up the subscribers, but I don't have anything to up the subscribers with. And that's how you end up with Sheffield, on Saturday night. So let's break it down. You do a show in Sheffield. And how would I describe it? Do you know sometimes you're at home and you haven't done shopping in a long time? And I was like this, especially when I was a student. And I didn't have much money that month, you know. The, the things I'd sort of planned for hadn't come in yet. So you're looking, and this is back in the day, so anyone from up north remembers, especially Sheffield. I mean, you'd head up to, like, Neto, right? And just buy whatever you could. So you might end up with some brown rice and then that veg combo of sweet corn and peas. You've got some old hoisin sauce you never finished off. You've got a can of tuna, some onions. And you're like, oh, screw it. I'm just going to have a stir fry. Now, it's not what you wanted, but it's all that's in the house, right? It's just a random collection of ingredients that you're going to stir fry and find a way to make it work. Maybe throw in some oyster sauce just for that extra smoothness. I don't know. A little tip there. And that's what this show was. It was loads of bits that Hearn doesn't really care about. But he had to use them before they went off. Right? So he had to use all of these bits before they went off. So he made a stir fry on Saturday night in Sheffield. Now, people need to understand Sheffield because... We've had years of people telling us about Sheffield being this venerable fighting city with this legacy and this heritage. 
It's not a ticket selling city. So Naz did, but Naz is Naz, right? Naz was going to sell regardless. Ryan Rhodes sold because Ryan's a local lad that made good, right? People, people could see themselves in Ryan Rhodes. There's a guy from, I think he's from like North Sheffield, isn't he? Like sort of Hillsborough Way or Parsons Cross. Yeah, people can relate to that, right? He's, he's one of them. Clinton Woods, one of them. Kel Brook on the way up, kind of, but he came in that kind of afterglow. But there are other guys who never sold tickets. I'm not going to name names to disrespect them, but loads of Sheffield boxers can't sell tickets. And this is what Dennis would always tell me. A load of these guys never sold tickets. So this idea that Sheffield was this buzzing fight city is a myth. It's a football city. Like you got two clubs that could do 40,000 comfortably. Fourth or fifth biggest city in England. But it doesn't do ticket sellers. And I can't explain why. But it just doesn't do ticket sales. So Galahad was never a ticket seller. Terry Harper is a ticket seller on the small hall scale. So Terry Harper would be good for about 700 tickets. But look at what Nathan Heaney's doing, just for context. And Nathan Heaney's doing it in a smaller city. Is Stoke even a city? Do we even care? It's one of those weird places. You don't ever know anyone from Stoke, apart from I met a guy, my mate Dermot. He's the only guy I know from Stoke. It's like when people used to talk about Keele University. That's like, I don't know anyone who graduated from Keele. Like, well, yeah, it's one of those weird places. But no, if we come back to Sheffield... It's not a ticket-selling city. It's not a place where you're going to fill out arena after arena. It's not like Liverpool, where Liverpool just get behind their own regardless. You know, Tom Farrell could do a 1,000 tickets in Liverpool because they'll get behind their own. Similar in Manchester to a lesser degree, but Sheffield, it's not like that. It's not like that in Leeds either. Warrington, yes, but everyone else struggled to sell tickets. So Hearn went there with his ragtag group of, like, you know, like the raggy dolls, essentially, and he puts on a show. He was on a hiding to nothing because he doesn't have great talent to work with in South Yorkshire because he's really just leaning on Steffi Ball. He's like, Steffi, I need you to come good for me. And Steffi can't come good for him because Steffi doesn't really have the talent. Sheffield's just not producing talent right now. So there, hiding to nothing, a load of people no one's really interested in in Sheffield on a show together and the assumption was that the Eddie Hearn magic would carry over. Now, here's what happens. I call it the notion of competitive momentum. And you saw this with Liverpool, right? If we go back to the heyday of Liverpool. If you look at the, that great Liverpool wave of the 70s and 80s. And if you're a Liverpool fan, tell me. I'm not, I, I, I will say my opinion, but I'm guessing. Name me the season when you knew that it was starting to go wrong. And it's probably the 87-88 season or the one after that, right? But look at when the decline actually set in. The decline really sets in after Sunus' first season. And the reason is you can carry on even when you're not your best for a long time because you've got that momentum and people just assume you're good. And I think Eddie had that, where people just assume everything he, turned, everything he touched turns to gold. And year after year, he'd have that. And what we've seen probably since the beginning of the lockdown is the Hearn factor is not as real as we thought it was. It's not this amazing force that can turn anyone into a star. He doesn't have natural stars in the stable apart from Conor Ben. 
he has incredible fighters. I put Okoli in that box, and I think Okoli is right now the number one boxing role model for me. The things he's doing, some behind the scenes, some in front of the cameras, I can't believe. Like he's he's operating at a level that makes me proud, and I think a lot of boxers could learn from. But Hearn hasn't got that depth. No, he hasn't. So what did we expect on Saturday? We expected to be disappointed. That's why people pirated it, people streamed it, but no one subscribed. So how does Eddie get out of this rut? Because he hasn't got anything coming up that you'd class as blockbuster. He probably he probably needed that Dillian White fight just for that for the bump in numbers and the bump in interest. Because now we're waiting for what the Liverpool show and then the Manchester show. Not much interest in either of those because there's nothing there for me. And so if we bring it back to the Sheffield show. So you, you had Will Corley making his debut. Will was XGB, really good amateur. You know, It's a shame you're making your debut on that show. But I guess Sheffield's a city that holds a lot of meaning for him, so I can fully understand that too. And you had Dave Allen's fighter. What's the name? Stevie Levy. Uh, I'll say what I say about female boxing at the moment. It's, it's just hit and miss, isn't it? You've got some real class operators like Tasha Jonas, and then you've just got kind of other people who do their thing. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a reminder that the sport needs to mature. And it needs to mature pretty quickly before it disappears from relevance. Because right now, the reason Eddie's so devoted to female boxing is it gives him star power and attention that no other promoter has because no one in the UK is taking female boxing as seriously as he is. So he knows he can tap into a, a wider demographic, especially when you're trying to grow your zone brand. And you can just say, look, who's doing more for women's boxing than me right now? And then you have these guys like Dante Dixon and James Flint. And like, it was really their aim, like added, added to Steve, Stevie Levy and having Dave Allen there. This was all meant to pull numbers in. Now, I don't know if someone can, conducted the analysis and said, well, if we have all of these guys on a card, we should be good for this many thousand tickets. The problem is they all sold to the same people. So it's not a question of, oh, we've got five lads that can all do 800 tickets. Therefore, that's 4,000 tickets. No, it's the same 800 people. Do you see what I mean? It's just that they, they, buy, they buy tickets on different occasions. But yeah, it's not, it's not a big pool that they're swimming in. And the attendance and some of the pictures I saw from the event should tell you it was, it was underwhelming, but no less than I expected. And you had, so you had, uh, who was the, Dante Dixon was there, and then I think it's James Flint, he's meant to be a ticket seller, but he lost. And it's that same thing of, when you pad these kids' records out, they come unstuck. When you don't put your guys in, challenging fights, and you don't put them at risk, this is what happens, because... James Flint shouldn't be losing a set central area title. Not, I don't know. Uh, it's just the standard of the sport right now is piss poor. Because everyone's more concerned with monetizing the assets than actually creating the assets. And until that changes, we're not going to get good boxers. Until trainers dedicate themselves to the art of educating boxers, we're not going to get a good standard. I think we had young Raven Chapman as well. She's from somewhere like the Shires or wherever. Um, once again, 
the the female side of the sport's too embryonic at the moment to really start judging whether someone's any good or not. It looked like she's learning on the job. I don't really like that notion of, you know, having to do that much learning on the job, but what can I do? Uh, Chris Billum-Smith was in with the French guy, uh, Breguet, also I can't remember his name for now, for the life of me, man. But that didn't seem to make any sense. That genuinely looked like they just needed to get Chris out, get a few quid in his pocket for Christmas. It didn't, it didn't really make sense. Because Chris delivers entertaining fights, like Chris, Chris isn't a safety first boxer, which I quite like actually. And it's why his fights are compelling to watch because he'll come looking for you. So you would have saved him for that Conor Ben card when you need that. You need that one person at about 8.30 to 9 o'clock who's going to deliver the pulse-raising fight. And then you can have someone make their debut before the main event. And Chris would have been good for that. So I was surprised he, did, he, he was on the show in Sheffield because it's massively underwhelming, isn't it, if we're being honest? Just massively underwhelming as an event and as an occasion. But here's the kicker. Your main event and your co-main event end up with stoppage losses. All your plans, all your 2022 plans in the air, that whole strategy of dominating at featherweight, booted sky high in the air. Months of planning and carefully maneuvering chess pieces and so forth, ruined. All that work up until Saturday, those years, two years, whatever, ruined and this is one of those times you can't blame Eddie I really really can't and I won't blame Eddie I'll just say this sometimes you just get hit you just get hit in the case of Kid Galahad wow had Galahad been able to move his head back half an inch Maybe an inch, being generous. That right hook whistles past, gives him enough of a scare, and he boxes out the rest of the fight, retains his belt. But it didn't. And because he was an inch the wrong way, Martinez got knuckle on Jorbo. That's as perfect, really, that is as perfect a knockout as you're going to see. And I know people say, yeah, but he got up and he went to his corner. But look what happened immediately after. And the thing that made that, that punch so freakish was it wasn't like Galahad had both hands down by his waist and he just got caught. And you'd be like, well, should have kept your hands up. He was moving from right to left and he had his left hand up. To all intents and purposes, before that punch is thrown, you're like, you're not in a bad position. What seemed to happen is, because Martinez is a little bit old and maybe he's slowing, but Galahad's still reasonably quick, they moved at different speeds. And it was that difference in speed that meant that Martinez's punch landed on the point of the chin and not on the glove. Had Martinez had speed, he'd have probably hit the glove. But being that, I don't know, that tenth of a second, that twentieth of a second off, Expose the chin. In that situation, you just say shit happens. That's not, that's not, you can't slight Galahad for that because he was boxing well up until that point. 
Now, I'm not a fan of that sort of thing, as people know. I respect it, and he's talented, and I've said it about other boxers before. When we say we don't enjoy watching you, that doesn't mean we don't respect the skills we see. It's just I don't have the patience to watch 12 rounds of that stuff on repetition. Like It just it, it bores the life out of me. So in that sense, maybe the, maybe the Kiko Martinez thing, was maybe it was good. But let's, let's just touch on Kiko for a second. If you remember, Kiko Martinez is a guy that's fought Brits before. He's fought Frampton. I think he fought Frampton twice. Fought Scott Quigg. Fought Josh Warrington. Didn't beat any of them. Got pummeled by Scott Quigg. Got dropped by Frampton. You know, got outworked by Josh Warrington. Nothing about Kiko Martinez suggests that he's impressive. Leo Santa Cruz made easy work of him. Everyone who's at a certain level has made easy work of Kiko Martinez. Usually dropped him or stopped him. He's not a special talent. So at, what what is he now, 35? To have this renaissance and all of a sudden, you know, you're part of this Spanish boxing miracle where if nothing else, we have to ask questions about where this has come from because you ask Spanish people about boxing, they don't care about it. It's not a big deal. Football, cycling, motorcycling, F1, tennis. It's kind of your bag with Spain. It's not boxing. So how's Kiko Martinez having this Indian summer's renaissance? Got to ask questions. You notice that we're not hearing a lot about testing anymore. We're not hearing a lot about out-of-competition testing. We're not hearing a lot about fight camp testing. Nothing. So you've got to ask questions about what the hell's going on. But then, by the same token, if they can get away with it, why aren't other people getting away with it? I don't think the level field, the playing field is that uneven. So maybe with that considered, kudos to him. But what I can say is, at the top level, Martinez has never been able to hurt or drop these guys. Never. So now we've got to start looking at Galahad and saying, what's his record all about, really? You know the crazy thing? Like when you look at when you look at Kid Galahad, and and you got to be really, really honest. You have to think his best fights are Kiko Martinez, Josh Warrington, Jazza Dickens twice. None of those guys is world level, by the way. None of those guys is elite. None of them. You know, none of them. You know, Warrington did what he had to do, but he caught people at the right time, let's be honest. Because what that Mexican lad did to him, in two fights, should we be... Well, 1.3 fights, 1.1 maybe. It was worrying. So when I look at Kid Galahad, I'm like, Kid Galahad's fought, what, 30 times roughly? We don't know who else he's fought. How have you had a career for 12 years? And we don't know who you fought. But because everyone in the, in the industry talks about Kid Galahad, this guy that can do the impossible, this guy that's probably more fundamentally sound than Naz, but has the same skill level, this Kid Galahad guy who maybe will go his whole career unbeaten. How? How has he had a career that long? That's the definition of nicking a living. 
right? That is the definition of nicking a living. And that is exactly why Galahad doesn't sell tickets. And that's why he doesn't get big purses. Because he's never put himself in harm's way. Now, there's a, there's a defense, which is who wanted to fight Kid Galahad? But that's on him. You know why people don't want to fight you. You can make the changes to make yourself bankable. You can, all of these things were in his control. He gets a manufactured title shot. He wins it, fair enough. Look at that, first defense's belt's gone. The definition of a padded record, the definition of not being put in harm's way, is Kid Galahad. And it's not that I don't like Kid Galahad, I just look at his career and I go, for everything we hear about Kid Galahad, for everything we've seen, and for all the column inches and all the IFL interviews and all of this attention that's been on Kid Galahad, the galley pad and all this sort of stuff, his career is mediocre at best. So we shouldn't be surprised Kiko Martinez did that, because at least Kiko Martinez has been in tough. He has that character that says, I will overcome. This is what happens when you go in tough. We're going to talk about it later in, the term, in terms of, you know, like Frank's show, but look, Galahad was always going to be exposed at some point for me, just because he'd never been in tough. That whole myth of, I mean, a lot of myths were exploded on Saturday. That Sheffield's this hotbed of British boxing, it's not. That it's this place where you can sell large amounts of tickets, it's not. It's a place where there's this genius kid called Kid Galahad who will never be beaten, it's not. Sheffield is none of those places. Sheffield's a really cool place to go out. Sheffield's an incredible place for a night out. Sheffield has some of the nicest people I've ever met, some of the friendliest people I've ever met. And in Dennis Hobbs, one of the boxing brains I'm glad that I've met. So I'll always respect Sheffield, but I know what Sheffield is. And it's not what Adam Smith used to tell you. And it's not what Eddie Hearn tells you. It's not. It's just a big city that's got more important things on its mind than boxing. Galahad is not one of them. And that brings us on to Terry Harper, because I have a bit more sympathy with the Harper one. Because I always wonder if Terry Harper even wants to box. I think my legacy of training has taught me that there are people who love training and there are people who love sparring and there are people who love it because they love to be in that environment. They love the gym. Their passion is for the gym. But then there are other people where the gym is just a stepping stone to the thing they love, which is performing in front of crowds. You take someone like David Hay. David would fight every Saturday if he could, even now at 41. The training is just the step to get ready for the fight. David loves fighting. He loves being in front of that crowd. He loves that pressure. He loves the attention. Now, does that mean one likes to fight less than the other? No. It just means some people find their peace in the gym, and anything that's not the gym is an inconvenience to them. And I wonder whether that's Terry Harper. She's never looked like someone who's passionate about boxing. It genuinely looks like she's, I don't want to say has been coerced into it, but there's pressure on her to do it from people who are not connected to her in terms of family and stuff. So when I saw the fight with Alicia Baumgartner, 
Because I didn't think Bam Gardner had it in her to beat Terry Harper. Because she hadn't really done it at that level. But then I look back on Terry Harper and I go, you got the gift against Jonas. Would you have had the career so far had justice prevailed in that fight? And we know why he didn't want the rematch. Tasha wanted that rematch. Would have done it at any weight possible. Because Natasha Jonas, like, I've got, I've got her number. Now, I think, hand on heart, I think Natasha Jonas wants the Harper fight. He, she wants the Katie Taylor rematch. I think she beats both of them now. Because she realizes the gap isn't really that big. So, so, so on paper, the fight looks like, yeah, nah, Baumgartner's in over her head. Harper should be able to do this. Until you watch the fight. And Harper... People say she looked rusty. No, she didn't. She looked like she didn't want to be there. She hadn't been in the ring for what? It's not a couple of years. She must have fought in the lockdown. But she hadn't been in the ring for a while. And it didn't look like she was rusty. It looked like she didn't want to be there. Sometimes when you get that break and you enjoy your life and you go, I don't enjoy that, that fight week feeling that Saturday night. That's not me. And that's what Harper boxed like. I'm going to do the bare minimum I have to to win this fight and then just get out of here. And Baumgartner was like, no, no, I'm here to win. I haven't flown all this way for nothing. I'm here to take heads off. And that stoppage, like literally that stoppage was frightening. That stoppage was frightening. Terry Harper got the blue screen of death after that right hand. You know when your computer hard drive just packs up on you and the screen goes blue you just got the white numbers on there. You know, that's the end. That's what that looked like. Credit to the ref for preventing Harper getting her head taken clean off because there were punches coming after that. So kudos to the ref for keeping Terry Harper safe. But when you see someone stiffen up like that, that's neurological. That's actually quite scary. And that's, that's one of those where I might have a brain scan before you come back because I don't feel confident that you survived that undamaged. But I don't want to be here jumping on Terry Harper too much because, like I said, I don't think she really wants to box. And I think this may give her a convenient out and she'll take some time out to reflect. But, wow, credit to Alicia Baumgartner, man. You announced yourself. The sad thing is you're tied to Matchroom, so you're just going to get pimped out to whoever Eddie needs to make next. He's not going to respect you because you ruined his plans. Same with Kiko Martinez. Martinez ruined Hearn's plans. So now what do you do? You go, okay. If I've got those two fighters, if I'm Steffi Bull, I'm not putting her in for the rematch. I think there's, there are more of those punches to come. I don't think Terry Harper wants to take those punches. She didn't want to take them from Natasha Jonas. So the honourable thing to do would be to make the Jonas Baumgarten a fight, although I don't know if Hearn would do that after the way he treated Jonas and Joe Gallagher in a very disrespectful way. As for Galahad, at least Hearn keeps the belt in the estate. So you do the unification with Lee Wood, move Galahad to the side because you actually don't need him. Martinez will do more numbers in this country than Galahad. No, and I'm not bullshitting you. Martinez will do more numbers in the UK than Kid Galahad. So you put him in with Lee Wood. I don't think Lee Wood is elite. I think they'll come up with a tactical plan for Martinez, but I think Martinez catches everyone. Then it's just about how tough are you. 
and then let one of those guys fight Warrington. Let Warrington get back in the mix. I don't think he needs the, the Mexican guy. Let Galahad fight the Mexican guy. Rebuild his name, hopefully. But yeah, those two losses, they really kicked the chessboard up in the air for Hearn because it's an inconvenience, especially with the rematch clauses because now Hearn's like, damn, I've got to deal with Galahad again. I really didn't want to. Or damn, I've got to deal with Steffi Bull again. I really didn't want to. I wanted to move on. You know, Sheffield's an absolute stinker. You know, I'm putting all my money on Leeds, Manchester, Liverpool. Nothing else matters to me anymore. So I just, yeah. So final thoughts. I think the most valuable thing that Hearn got out of being in Sheffield for the week was he got to spend time with Sky Nicholson. So I know Sky Nicholson was at the event on Saturday uh, as a guest of Matchroom. So shouts out to the Australian female team who are in the UK. They came from a training camp, but I think the World Championships are now cancelled, so they're just having a training camp up here. So they went up there. Hearns had the conversation with Sky Nicholson. What, what weight is she? Probably featherweight. Like, her old man's connected in Australian boxing. So you know if you sign her, you've got the whole boxing establishment behind you. So I think Hearns just moving strategically in terms of trying to get her signed, you know, assess what her plans are, do the deal. Although that means he ignored the rest of the ladies, which I'm a bit surprised by, but... We'll see. I guess you've got a ready-made rival in Ebony Bridges for, for Sky Nicholson. The question is, is the money worth it? So that's probably the biggest thing he got out of being in Sheffield. The rest of it, not so much so. The biggest thing I got out of the whole thing in Sheffield was knowing that my mate Dan Parker's back filming for Matchroom, so salute to him. Like, one of the nicest people I know, one of the realest people I know, one of the hardest-working people I know. So anyone that needs videography photography and you you got the budget because i mean we don't do freebies anymore if you got that budget hit up dan parker man parker photography and video god i hope i got that right so yeah parker photography and video ppv i mean we call him pay-per-view so yeah he 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 seemed to have a good week shocking dress sense but we'll forgive him that so yeah so anyone else who was up there who got to mingle, who got to enjoy the Sheffield hospitality because it's an amazing city. Kudos to you. But overall, it's a show that I can't, I can't criticize Hearn for because, like I said, it's tuna, it's sweet corn, it's peas, it's brown rice, and it's some hoisin sauce, man. That's all that was. And he ate it, he'll shit it out, and he'll move on. He won't try that again. But I feel I need to talk about the Frank show. Not... Not in any detail because it was a it was a filler card, right? It was a it was truly a your call card and not even a good one at that. But it served a purpose, man. It got people up before Christmas and it it kept people active. But there are two things I want to talk about. So first, I want to praise Aidan Muhammad because um a few years ago, my friend Donald Smith, you all know who Don is. He was telling me how good Aidan Muhammad was. And I was just like, because I'm jaded to this. I'm like, oh, yeah, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, boxes for Repton. Yeah, he's tall, he's rangy. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And I didn't really get it until I saw the fight from Friday. Now, I had to watch it on the Saturday because you know, I, was, I was tied up on the Friday. But what I saw in that first round... I said, this kid's going to be a star. If he, can, if he can deliver performances like this round after round, this kid's going to be a star. 
like you could see him having a look. He was picking his punches and he was working out the most hurtful spot to put those right hands. He may have the double best double jab right hand I've seen in this country. For speed, accuracy, length, doesn't sacrifice any distance when he delivers it. I like Aiden Muhammad. I think middle rounds, middle two rounds, he took his foot off the accelerator a bit and then he closed out the show. But I just, I was impressed. I was impressed. It's going to get harder for him and people aren't going to give him the opportunities to escape like this guy did. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he copes with those problems. So what will he do when when it turns into a shootout in a phone booth? And there are guys who can do that to him. Whether they've got the the strength, the age, the experience of him, whichever way they want to do it, they can do that. But I want to see what happens then. But I say that more out of I'm interested and I'm excited as opposed to trying to bring him down. I'm more like, I want to see what, what hidden levels there are in the kid because I really enjoyed watching those four rounds. He looked good. And it's rare that Richie Woodhall doesn't have to talk about people holding their feet. He didn't have to. Like, he, when Ada Muhammad ticks Richie Woodhall's boxes, like, you know you've done something right on the night. So kudos to him. I think the kid's talented. I like how he speaks as well. He... He's accessible. I think as a fan, he's accessible. You can listen to him talk and, I mean, it's relatable, likable. Like I said, I like Don. I think that performance should be telling any boxer who's disillusioned with their trainer now, you need to be hitting up Don. Because what he's shown is, look, this is a kid I've had from debut. You're seeing what I believe in. So if you're not sure about who you're training with right now, you might want to speak to D. And he might listen to you, but then he might not because he's very picky about who he takes on. But now I was impressed with it. I was, I was, I was happy. I'm, ha just, I'm always happy when I see people doing well and progressing and advancing. So kudos to them. Now I've got to talk about the, the fight. I probably had the greatest emotional attachment to. Oh man, I don't even know where to start with this one. So Frank's got a cruiserweight, right? Mikhail Szyzynski, I think that's his name. Signed over from Poland. Just from what I understand, had some amateur experience, like kind of went the traditional route. Not that good. More losses than wins. But Frank signs him. And I guess you do that because there's a sizable Polish community in the UK and they're more likely to buy tickets, right? That's how you get those guys interested in the, in, the, in the sport. So I can understand it from that cynical perspective. Now, an opponent pulls out. So Thursday night, let me I'll try not to drop names. So Thursday night, I get, I get voice notes and messages from two different sources, both asking me, yo, what do you know about this Alois Jr. kid? So I'm like, what, Jr.? And they, yeah, and like, he's a good kid, why? And so I find out that Jr., <laughs> has taken on this fight 24 hours notice to make his professional debut as the away fighter. And I'm talking to two guys separately about this. It's the same message where my view is sometimes he's too headstrong for his own good. Now, let's go back and you understand how I know the kid. So I've known Alois since he was about 11, 12, right? because he used to train at Fitzroy Lodge. He came to the gym as a chubby kid and 
you know. He was always brave. So he was always like, why can't I jump in with the seniors? And so you'd put him in with more experienced kids and they'd put, they'd put a beating on him. And sometimes he'd get a bit emotional about it. And that's understandable. It's a, it's a tough sport. But what he was was a quick learner. And he matured quickly. And by 15, he was bullying people because he was big and he was strong for 75 and fearless, fearless and aggressive. Like, really enjoyable to watch the kids spar. You're watching him just going, this guy will be an amazing light heavyweight. If he can control his weight, he'll be an amazing light heavyweight. Unbeatable at light heavyweight. Because he had everything in place. Now, I've seen the kid do 125 on the box jump. Like, we, we were going head to head on that. And he, he left me for dead at 115. And he went as high as 125. And that looked easy for him. And he's a likable kid. Like, the, the bravado and the tough guy talk is one thing. He's a nice kid. Nice kid from a good family. And that's why you, that's why you just like him. But what happened was he left Fitzroy Lodge because of the split between England Boxing and the Alliance. He wanted to do the junior ABA, so he goes to Repton. Now, Repton just see him as another fighter because he hasn't got that legacy with them. He's not one of their projects. He's not a guy that came to them from zero. So they just treated him like another guy and they didn't really understand how to get the best out of him. So he fought in the schoolboy finals and I can't remember who he fought. But he should have won that fight. He should have stopped the kid. But he was just, he found it too easy in there. He switched off and the kid just racked up the points over the three rounds and won. The kid wasn't better than him. He just had that northern style which was just keep throwing one-twos as long as they keep connecting. And so he had a period of time, probably just a couple of years, of just going from gym to gym to gym. And that's always a red flag to me because I think you need to develop in one place and you need to develop in an environment where you're known, you're respected and you're understood. Boxing 101. You train where you're comfortable and that's when you perform at your best. So he, he travelled around the gyms and you'd see him, he'd be sparring this guy and that guy. He got a lot of lot of good experience but it's only valuable when you've got a context in which to put it in I don't think he had a stable trainer so so all of this is in my head when people are asking me what's he like and I'm telling them the truth I'm like don't be deceived by the physique he's still an 18 year old lad so that physique's quite watery now a lot of the a lot of people listening to this are men in their 20s and 30s right you know what you were like at 18 compared to who you are now. Strength-wise, solidity, just that maturity of physique, you know the difference. So to put him in at 18 on his debut against this Polish lad who's 23, and the Polish lad's probably thinking, why are you putting someone who's never boxed at this level in with me? This is disrespectful. I'll teach him a lesson. And if you saw the first round of that fight, he set about him, dropped him with a jab. And that's not down to being chinny, by the way. That's simply down to, that's the first time you really feel those 10-ounce gloves. I've only ever done a few rounds in 10-ounce gloves, and I just, nah. It's not like hitting the bag with your, your rival RM003s or whatever you've got. It's not like hitting them with those 18 ounces. It's not like that. It's, it's brutal. And so, 
it took him probably the, till the second round to really get into the fight. But by then, the fight's pretty much lost. And that's your debut gone. And he got all the social media plaudits and all the kudos and all that respect, which is all well and good. But you sold your O for four grand. Anthony Yard sold his O for what? Four mil? You sold your O for four grand. This is what happens when you don't have the right people around you. He's not culpable in any of this. Young Alois Jr. is not culpable. You can't blame him for a thing. He did what any 18-year-old would do. He stayed fearless and committed. His manager failed him. His trainer failed him. Everyone around him failed him because had anyone brought that idea to me on Thursday morning and said, should he take this fight? I would have said, hell no. I would have paid him four grand not to. Yeah? Because that first defeat has to be valuable. This wasn't valuable. I've seen the fight. It wasn't a valuable defeat because this other guy's not even amazing. He's just a more mature man who had a point to prove in that ring. Like, I don't see any money in Mikhail Shishinsky, and that's no disrespect to him. I don't see any money in him. But there was money in Junior. There was a shit ton of money in Junior. Get the kid down to light heavy, and he can do light heavy. He's just being lazy at the moment. He can do light heavy. And you have him at light heavy, you have a better talent than Anthony Yard. And they blew that for the sake of filling in an opponent on a debut? But that's what happens when you're managed by one of Frank's, is he a steward, is he a whip? I can't remember. But one of Frank's mates. So if he's there like, let me show how I can please you, Frank. I'm going to sacrifice my guy for you, Frank. And you owe me a favor. You won't owe Alois a favor. You owe me a favor. And I don't know what happened with the training team. Why would you say yes to that? Where was the adult in all of this? Where was the mature voice? Where was the adult voice to say, no, 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 no. He only gets one debut. Don't have it at a, a one-third full York Hall where no one's really there and most of the people who are there are just Queensbury employees. Why doesn't he get to be on a TV show? Uh, Frank's Tyson Fury's promoter. Why doesn't he get to be on a Fury show? For his debut. Where's his respect? Where's his consideration? These are the things in the sport I despise. Lions led by lambs. Someone should have said no in this process. And everyone's talking tough and everyone's talking smart now, right? In a few days, it's going to dawn on this young man that he lost on his debut. And that will always be a sore point. And it'll always be something opponents will pick up on. You lost on your debut. You have to protect your guys at all costs. You really, really do. I just thought that was, that was disgusting. Because he had done everything right up until that point. Now, now he gets to box in his kind of like proper debut on Friday. But, you know what I mean? Like... Do you even want to fight after taking some of those shots a week ago? It's bravado, but is it good for you? For me, it's not. But I'm not a manager and I'm not a trainer. So I can only provide advice. I can give additional guidance, but that's as far as I can go. 
But if we're being honest, the best show of the weekend has to go to Hennessy, right? So Hennessy puts on Misha Camp Pitters, Reese Cartwright, you got Tommy Welch on there, the McKenna brothers finally on the show together in the UK. I mean, that's this is the issue I have with Mick. Mick puts together really solid cards. He puts the, he, like his stable of fighters is usually pound for pound the best in the country. He has a stellar eye for talent. Mick doesn't talk enough. Hennessy Sports don't talk enough. That's what they're missing. They're missing that mouthpiece. They're also missing a clear vision for what to do with Isaac. Like, I still don't understand what the plan is with Isaac. He should, he should be on every show. He's willing and active. So why isn't he on every show? Even if it's like an eight-rounder, just keep Isaac ticking over. I think that's the issue I have at the moment. It's just the boxing side is spot on. I think the, the marketing and promotion could be better. Now, who's responsible for that? No idea. You never know. I might offer my services and just start being the, the Hennessy mouthpiece. I could do that. But in all honesty, solid card. Um, I like that they've got Tommy Welsh. I think if you're a young boxer right now, and you just want to get to 10, 15 and 0, why wouldn't you look at McHennessy? Like, just for your, your sponsorship opportunities, for your visibility, getting access to the media, I genuinely think Channel 5 might be your best option. So, yeah, that's something for you guys to think about. So, I've just breezed through all this stuff. So, kudos to him. And long may McHennessy continue to keep developing high-quality talent and doing it in the right way. So, I, I salute that 100%. Um, GB just came back from Mas yeah, it was North Macedonia. So there's a tournament out there. It's the first time I'm able to say Courtney Bennett's finally put on his GB vest in anger. He got a silver medal, which I think is fantastic for your first tournament. Now, I would have sent him to the Worlds, to be honest with you, because I think Courtney stands a better chance of dealing with more experienced opponents than Delicious does at the moment. So what? I don't know why they did it that way, but they did. And it's between those two for the super heavyweight slot at the Commonwealth Games. I'd back Courtney, but I'm biased. So I would say that. Uh, little little John O'Meara. Is it John? Yeah, the youngest of the O'Meara brothers who boxed against our guy Charlie Harrison when it was the Alliance days. And he's gone on leaps and bounds. So, yeah, from a, from a boxing family. I think he's from like the Stephen O'Meara family. So I think Stephen is like the eldest of the lot. Super talented family, Dale Youth Boxers through and through. So kudos to that. GB took four golds and one silver. I think that's a that's a good tournament haul. I'm just glad to get courts back, getting back into GB, keep doing his thing. I might pop up and see him as well. Uh, what else has been happening that we need to touch on? Probably not that much, actually. I just want to salute the the Australian ladies, man. They 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 seem to be enjoying Sheffield now, so that for their camp. The female worlds got cancelled, so that's something that's quite interesting. So the men's tournament happened in Serbia, right? And so just from the gossip I picked up, it was so expensive to do that. And it would have been cheaper to have run the men's and the women's tournament in parallel. But they hadn't thought that one through. And I think, where was it meant to be? Was it in Istanbul for the female one? And they're blaming COVID, but in reality, it was just going to be too expensive to stage the tournament with all the COVID protocols you'd need and so on and so forth. You know, you've got hundreds of athletes there and you're having to test, what, every other day? 
or sometimes every day, the officials as well. The It was just going to be so expensive to run and administer that it just wasn't worth it at a time when Aiba <laughs> is trying to live within its means, you know, after the corruption scandals. So, yeah, it, and it's a shame for every woman who's prepared for that. That's all the GB squad, people like Hannah Robinson and so forth, who won't get that opportunity. Remember, we've still got Lauren Price and Karis Arting still there. So, real shame overall. So, hopefully what GB will do is extend the invite to other countries to come down for a camp and they can just all jump in and have a good old sparring session. So, if nothing else, you get to develop before the end of the year. So, I think that's pretty much it. Sorry I've overrun, guys. I don't usually go this long. <laughs> Boom, boom. But yeah, I just wanted to touch on some of those things real quick. Um, I have a feeling I'll probably do a Porky episode at some point this week. So I'll go try and find something original to say when I'm on his show. So until then, guys, listen, take care. And you know, the request is always the same. And if you enjoy the, if you enjoy the, con- the content, please like, retweet, share, all, all of the above. Because if you guys don't share it, I mean, the voice of reason won't get heard and, you know, these promoters won't take us seriously. So let's let's start creating a force for good and start challenging these guys to to do better because we demand better. Take care and goodbye, guys. Ah, no, 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 no. Pull that back, actually. I need to shout out Rod. So I was walking through Victoria Station on Saturday, majorly pissed off that I'd missed my train. And Rod came up to me. How he recognized me, I have no idea. And he just asked if I was the guy that did the podcast. I was like, yeah. And just for him to say he really appreciates it, like, Jesus, that's mind-blowing. Like, it still humbles me to think that there are people out there who actually listen to this. So, listen, I give thanks for that. Rod, thank you. I mean, I hope it was a good weekend. I know where you went, but I don't know if people are supposed to know, so I can't snitch. But I hope you had a good weekend and that you made it back safely. Or if you're still out there, I hope you're enjoying yourself. But no, I really appreciate that, man. It's it's crazy to think that what you do is valuable to people. And yeah, it, you get a bit emotional when you think about that. But it sort of drives you to to not cut corners. You know, you, so only speak when you genuinely have something to say. And on that note, I will say goodbye now. Bye. fighting spirit I love it yeah let's go TBF what did we have TBE before you know you know we, 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 we TBF throwback fighters let that one ring bells let it marinate that's what we're coming with now throwback fighters 2201 second to no one stay hungry fuck being humble